had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I'm in love with Could you. make me be true. Snap out of it. Could make me be true. The magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. You're lit from within, Tracy. It had to be you, wonderful you. It had to be you. Hello, romantics. Welcome to a Had to Be You, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and this is episode four of our queer romance miniseries where I'm inviting uh, LGBTQ plus guests to talk about their favorite uh, queer romance movies. Um, I'm, I'm, really, I'm excited about this episode because uh, this is the most recent movie that I've ever covered on this podcast. Um, I think only one of five movies from the 2020s that I've, I've talked about here, which is kind of... Um, Kind of exciting, uh, just to talk about something so recent. And, um, it's been, it's about just under a year old, but, you know, I'm excited to welcome back, um, my previous guest from the Sun Like It Hot episode way back in 2021. Um, my good friend Daniel Brilliant. Hello. Welcome back. Hi, Manish. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this movie, um, especially because this is a movie that definitely was talked about a lot last year, actually. It's very recent. So, Yeah. Uh, well, would you like to introduce the film for us today before we kind of get started? So um, in discussing, uh, when Manish asked me to be back on the podcast and discussing what films I wanted to talk about, the first thing that came to mind was Bros, which just came out. So... <laughs> um, I really connected with this film. Um, I know it's polarizing in the LGBTQ community, but it's a film that I thought was pretty authentic in many ways to the modern experience of gay romance and gay dating. So that's why I brought it on. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. This <laughs> I remember when this movie came out, Like, there was just so much noise around it. And I was like, I just don't want to participate in the discourse. This movie is a very classical romantic comedy. It's very, um, you know, it's just there to be funny and romantic and to entertain us and to make us feel stuff. So I don't want to, like, discourse this movie to death. Uh, but here we are in podcast talking about it. And, of course, the discourse and all of this movie's themes and all of its, you know, ups and downs and all that. I mean, of course, we're, we're going to get into it. Um so, okay, this movie's pretty new. Usually I ask guests, like, the first time they saw the film, but of course this movie is very new. Um, but was there anything specifically um, memorable um, the first time you saw it? And then, like, how... I mean, I know it's only been out... I mean, it's been out for just under a year, but in how has your opinion or, you know, thoughts on the movie changed from then until now? Well, the first time I saw this was actually very memorably... Um, uh, it was my first ever movie at an Alamo draft house, uh, oh, because, uh, where I live uh, is in the Baltimore, Washington metropolitan area and Washington DC just in the last couple of years got Metro got Alamo draft house. So it was my first ever Alamo draft house viewing. I went with a good friend who's also gay and into movies and we, you know, 
got the Alamo Drafthouse experience of, you know, getting the food and the alcohol at our seats and had a great time. It was definitely, like, one of the most, like, pound-for-pound pound most laugh movies, most laughs I've had in a movie since, like, Bridesmaids in 2011, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, like, studio comedies, it really varies depending on the person, of course, but this movie just really landed for me, especially the very yeah. LGBTQ community-specific jokes in it that mm-hmm. Billy Eichner put in there. Um, I could tell Billy wrote this movie very specifically for the queer audience yeah. while also making while putting it in this in the straight rom-com formula. So I really appreciated those those nods that he put in there. And I I've I, I mean, even in spite of all the discourse about the movie and Billy Eichner and, you know, whether or not this portrait of gay romance is authentic, whether or not it's representative, um, I I connected deeply to this movie right away. My opinion on it, I mean, I was on a very big high after seeing it the first time. It was pro- I mean, um, I had said when I saw it, it was my favorite film of 2022 after I saw it, but that was before I had rewatched everything everywhere all at once and, you know, gotten into the awards cycle. So it's more like in my top 20 of that year now, but it's, it's a movie that's like stuck with me and I've still thought about it several times. And, you know, this revisiting of it that I just had before recording really brought back the same feelings. So I'm excited to get into it. What was the audience like? Like, did they respond as well to the movie? Was it, I mean, I know it's hard to tell, but did you find that it was like a mainly queer or gay audience? Yeah, um, I'm pretty yeah. sure. I mean, it wasn't a large audience. I mean, we can talk yeah. about this movie's box office. But yeah. um, but uh, I could tell that, like, there were plenty of laughs and there was a good response to it. So that was nice. And DC itself is a very queer city. Yeah. So So getting a movie like this, it found its audience in DC, at least, at least the people who saw it. So, yeah, um, I also saw this movie at, at an Alamo Draft House, actually, um, in Brooklyn. And my boyfriend and I went on Friday night, um, opening night, and um, yeah, I this I mean the theater was packed. I mean, usually like opening nights at that Alamo Draft House are pretty packed, just because like I think it's like a heavy cinephile. Um, space, of course, and uh, so usually, like, you know, I knew that it would be a full theater, um, and it was, and I felt that, like, I mean, it seemed to me like everyone seemed to enjoy it, like, a, a lot of, the, as we were saying, like, a lot of the jokes landed, um, a lot of the comedy landed, um, and I think that, uh, I mean, a lot of the very specific queer jokes uh, landed, um, and I... I liked I liked the movie a lot. I was a little nervous to revisit it just because, like, sometimes, like, especially with, like, these, like, Judd Apatow comedies, like, you know, you see them in the theater, they're a laugh a minute, they're great, and you watch them again, and a lot of the, like, you know, the novelty kind of wears off and the surprise of the jokes kind of wear off. Um, like, that didn't happen with Bridesmaids um, or Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but it did happen a bit with, like, other movies, like... I mean, I don't know, I like other movies um, from that, like Trainwreck didn't quite work for me the second time around. Um, and um, uh, some of the other ones, like Knocked Up does not work for me much at all. Um, although I haven't watched it, I feel like maybe I would enjoy it more on this end of my 30s. But um, yeah, so I, I really like the movie. I, I feel like for me, the first 20 minutes are really rough. <laughs> Um, you know, especially the first like 10 minutes, you know, where it's just like, cause I'm not, I guess I should 
let's rewind actually and let me ask you like what's your familiarity with billy eichner like did you watch his show did you follow like I, i'm sure you I'm sure you follow him but like um what was your awareness of him and like kind of relationship to him going into this movie well i mean everyone knows billy on the street like yeah. it's kind of like in the culture so I knew of Billy on the street. I followed him on Twitter. He's a very obviously loud personality. And this yeah. movie makes use of that loud personality. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I had seen his voice performance as Timon in the Lion King remake, which is one of the only good things about that movie. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. That's so true. So, like, I had never seen any of his comedy, like, any of his, like, stand-up comedy routine. I had really just known him from, you know, Twitter and Billy on the Street and the Lion King performance. So, like, you know, I was aware of him. I was vaguely aware of his persona. And, like, the persona he portrayed in the movie was not necessarily surprising to me because I know it's a semi-autobiographical character. So, so that's, that's how I was familiar with him. Yeah, so I'm not familiar with him at all. Like I, I just I think I rarely watch Billy on the Street. Um Devin did not watch his show. I think uh Difficult People, I think that was it on Hulu. Devin did not watch that. Um yeah, I agree about Lion King. He and uh, I, I forgot who played Pumbaa. Is it Seth Rogen? It was Seth Rogen. Yeah, the two of them are the best parts of the movie. I mean Beyonce's album, of course, as we were talking over text, great album. But yeah, yeah, um, Lion King the <laughs> gift is way better than that movie deserved. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that's Beyonce's way of like getting Disney's budget to pay for this like pan African musical experiment. Um, but um, yeah, so to me, like the first part of the movie, I was just like, really just like, I, it was hard to get through. Um, because I feel like I was just being yelled tweets at, you know, like I was having someone yell tweets at me. And I was like, I just, I was like, if this is gonna be the whole movie, I can't deal with it. But then I think as the movie goes on, and that becomes part of the arc, and it becomes part of the character. And um, you see that through Luke McFarlane's eyes, and how that can be very endearing in a way. Um, I, you know, I feel like this movie is definitely one that gets much better as it goes along. And, you know, it has a lot of peaks you know for example the provincetown sequence the ending is so romantic the um you know there are a lot of really great moments in the movie but um yeah so what about this movie did you really connect with like how does it you know how did it really land for you um if you don't mind sharing personally I mean, I'll start by saying, you know, um, back on the Apatow point, um, yeah. this movie's co-written and directed by Nicholas Stoller, who I think has done some of the better Apatow films, like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, yeah. and and he did, he also wrote The Muppets, which I love The Muppets. That movie really brought The Muppets back into my life in a way I didn't expect. Um, so I, and you know, he did Neighbors, which those were, those two movies were big hits in recent mm -hmm. years. So like, I feel like, and he wrote Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, which I also really enjoyed. <laughs> so like, I've generally enjoyed Nicholas Stoller's work. So I yeah. wasn't surprised that like, you could tell he has his touch on this because I could definitely tell this is the same guy who directed Forgetting Sarah Marshall. This is the same right. guy who wrote The Muppets. Yeah, the same yeah. guy who, who had that like sense of humor that wrote Captain Underpants. Like, like he... I like that you know you have his mainstream comedy sensibility mixed with Billy Eichner's queer comedy sensibility, and I think that the blend works really well for me. And I think what also helps is this movie's got a great cast, like who's who of LGBTQ comedy legends yeah. in it. 
like T.S. Madison and um, Bo and Yang and even a cameo from Deborah Messing, which is pretty funny. Like, and, you know, just like the whole, I mean, this movie was marketed as like a pretty much entirely LGBTQ cast. And it is aside from Deborah Messing and a Kristen Chenoweth cameo, which is also funny. I also appreciated that aspect of it. So, so those are two things I really appreciated. And also I appreciated the frankness that gay dating was portrayed with in this. Like it might be a mainstream rom-com, but I think it really gets like what can be the isolation and loneliness of Grinder extremely accurately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, like, um, I, yeah, this movie really nails that kind of, um, that loneliness um like i really liked the um one of my favorite parts of like the early section of the movie is when uh uh bobby is like walking and like talking about like how he like enjoys the like warmth of that you know, the intimacy of the like, kind of an, an anonymous encounter and like how he tries to like ride that as long as he can and i mean that's something that i um, I mean, I don't know if I've ever experienced that myself, but um, I definitely could relate to it. Um, and so I, I like, I liked that. I, I think for me, the, what kind of troubles me about this movie is that, like, it's just not my demographic, you know, like this movie doesn't represent me and my experience and the experience of people like me exactly. And like, there are ways that I can, there, I, this, I have access points to this movie and there are touch points and there's like a lot of, I think more universal truths, but I also feel very like uh, distant from the kind of, you know, queer people that are in this movie or especially like the kind of like gay men that are in this movie. But, and I think that was a lot of the criticism of this movie, but I was also like, well, that's not, I was like, this is the kind of, these are the characters that these characters want to, these writers are, are making and characters or actors are playing. So like, that's their right so like i so i i enjoyed the movie for what it is um and it also felt like a nice little window into this like whole other like side of you know the gay lifestyle or, or gay culture and i i will say i've actually seen a bit more of this um like in the last several months i've yeah like gotten more into the dc queer community and it's not i mean this movie is obviously heightened um yeah. but but like it's not the the DC club scene is not too dissimilar to what you see in this movie on a much lower stakes level. So yeah. so like I'm I'm not entirely I'm not entirely surprised by how this goes, but like if you're not somebody who goes out to gay clubs or you're not somebody who's like a gay in the city, like it's not a community that everyone is familiar with and it and it can some, somewhat feel inaccessible, so I fully understand that criticism. Yeah, like, I've never been invited to an orgy, and I felt like if I went to one, I might be asked to leave. <laughs> Maybe not, I don't know. I just, like, it's just not, like, I don't, I mean, I went clubbing when I was in college, but uh, even then, I was kind of, I felt very outside of, like, the club seat. I just went to, like, dance with my friends and stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I found this movie to be really relatable, despite the... Um, the window dressing of this kind of, you know, like demographic that they're portraying just because like the conversations about like emotional unavailability, emotional unavailability and the conversations about like kind of like opening up and being yourself and, you know, uh, internalized homophobia, that all stuff really resonated with me. Um, and, uh, 
actually this this time around i really related to aaron's character even though i'm not like a muscle jock gay guy or whatever but i was like oh yeah a lot of this stuff is like stuff that like i'm also unpacking and dealing with and and so um yeah i just like i was really surprised by because when i first saw this movie i was like oh that character is so distant from me because like you know he would never even like look like he, he's not someone that i would ever like come across you know um and uh but this time around i was like wow i really relate to this character and i, I was able to like see past the like the superficial part of it and like actually like understand the character yeah i mean i also agree that that Luke McFarlane's character has a lot of depth that, like, you don't necessarily catch on the first viewing, especially because, like, I feel like in a lot of media, you only see one kind of queer, or you only see, like, two kinds of queer characters. Yeah. You either have what the movie very accurately makes fun of in, like, the tragic, closeted queer people who, like, live out their forbidden romance and die, or you have Glee like a character like Kurt, who's like the floweriest gay you'll ever see. So I admire that. Like you have a character like Luke McFarlane's who is a mask gay that like, that's like not tragic at all. That just like enjoys things he likes. That is just like not stereotypical. Like it's, it's nice to have that portrayal in media because you really don't see it very often. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't, um, yeah, I felt like this movie was really smart in, um, like, uh, really, like, rewriting, like, the stereotypes of, like, um, like, and actually, like, confronting these issues that I think gay men have, um, especially, like, there was a really good line about, like, um, you know, like, like, uh, kind of, like, like men dating men it's like we're still selfish and just do what we want and um and like it that, i mean that's the excuse that they make in, in terms of like not being in a relationship but it's also learning to to do that and so the understanding that like just like working through a, a lot of these like dynamics and complexes that we have um yeah i mean I feel like this movie is really is like a lot smarter. But then also like what's really great about this movie is that it also just feels like a traditional romantic comedy. And like you can like you could analyze this movie in in a way that in terms of its like themes representation, but then you can also just enjoy it because like it hits all those beats and it has all these like romantic moments and all these funny moments and like um a couple with amazing chemistry. Like um, I, I love how it pays homage to like Nora Fran and Nancy Myers and um, uh, 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 God, who's the guy who made Broadcast News and James L. Brooks? Uh, yes, I was keep saying thinking uh, Richard Brooks, but yeah, James L. Brooks. Thank you. Um, like it pays homage to all these like great romantic comedy figures, but then also like has this extra layer of like being really accurate about you know queer relationships and dynamics and you know internalized issues honestly like back to the orgy for a second i think one of the most effective moments of comedy in this film is the foursome scene yeah uh like, the one with um 
the kid from the middle. <laughs> yep. Did you watch the middle with uh, Patricia Heaton? Um, I did. I didn't realize that that kid was on the middle. Yeah, he played uh, Sue's friend Brad, who was like closeted for like a few seasons. And the big joke was that like everyone but Sue knew that he was gay. And he comes out when they're in college, and it's a really sweet moment. Um, and I didn't put it together either because, like, I mean, yeah, I guess the middle was on for like nine seasons, so I feel like he is ne- he's in his twenties, but like I just think of him as like fifteen. Um, but yeah, that's him, and it was so uh, it was funny. But yeah, that scene is so like, but like I, I mean, again, again, it gets to the dynamics because like you know I've been I've you know full disclosure I've been in situations like that where I'm like, wait, am I actually like <laughs> invited here? <laughs> like um you're or i mean even like when you're like i mean like i've been on like even just like regular dates with people where like the guy would talk to like everyone but me and i'm like what am i doing here <laughs> you know yeah no i mean i feel like everyone's been a steve at least once yeah well i feel like i've been a steve and a bobby in that <laughs> in, in situations where you're like um just be like just kind of re- i mean especially i mean the, in the first like foursome scene with that like baseball couple and kind of being like oh like they're not they don't want me here they aren't paying attention and i'm just gonna leave and it's like awkward but yeah i mean just like these like dynamics are just like um like you just wouldn't see a scene like that in a straight romantic comedy or or in a straight sex comedy you know like no because every um, i feel like every threesome it's like always like two girls and they're both like really into the guy (laughs) and each other yeah and then you've also got like the thruple joke like that doesn't get thrown around in straight comedies because i mean like just from people i know like just open relationships and thruples are just much more common in the lgbtq community and i admire that a mainstream studio comedy is addressing this like not only addressing it but it's ever Sorry, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, no, you, you finish. Um, yeah, it's, it's not just addressing it, but like actually treating it sincerely. And it's not just like a joke. Like, it's actually like, um, like if, if that feels like a, re- a real relationship, you know, even if they don't get that much screen time, but it feels like, like it feels respectful. It doesn't feel like just like a throwaway joke. And also, it's shown as like a valid way to, um, have a relationship fully and i also appreciate that like i know i know a lot of people got on this movie for being overly sanctimonious but i do actually appreciate especially you know in the events that have happened since this movie has come out like i feel like the message of this movie is kind of important actually in regards to queer education um yeah and and people thought it was being overly sanctimonious but it but like they didn't foresee the next several months of events playing out so yeah you know having a studio comedy talk about queer education to children and like and opening an lgbtq history museum it's an important message that we probably shouldn't have shot down when it came out yeah, you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because, like, I remember one of my takeaways that I was talking to my boyfriend about it was, like, you know, I like the movie, I like the romantic comedy part of it, but, like, I, I was, like, I don't know if I liked the, like, you know, the the queer, his, like, the queer museum angle of it because, like, I, I agreed with some of those comments, like, it feels sanctimonious, it feels like, 
you know, okay, we have we have a mainstream gay movie that has to be educational and it has to like have this point. And like, why can't we just have like a normal because it's you know a normal romantic comedy? Because it's not like every rom com we see has like talking about like women's rights or whatever. But you know, I I totally agree with you on that. Like in the last you know in the last like six months or so, like we've had this like overhaul of queer rights within the education system and. You know, the understand like, of course, the, um, you know, the harassment of queer or queer coded teachers and, and all this nonsense, horrific stuff. Um, so it really resonated with me um, at the end when, you know, Aaron's mom is like, you are right. We should have bring kids here. Um, uh, but I also still felt that like um, Billy Ackner's character was I don't know. It was the Christmas dinner scene I thought was really interesting. And I would love to kind of get into that with you because I feel there's uh, the Christmas sequence, I think is, is I think a, a really tricky piece of filmmaking and it doesn't really have a lot of easy answers. Yeah. I mean, I know that scene was a big talking point for a lot of people on whether the movie worked or not, especially. Because yeah, what's your it's kind of the yeah. it's the inciting incident of, you know, the traditional rom-com, you know, difficulty in the relationship. And it involves, you know, it involves discussions on, you know, straight washing, it involves discussions on, you know, uh coded language, and it involves, you know, conformity and assimilation, which is which are definitely tough topics to discuss in the queer community, especially depending on what circle you're in. Yeah. What is your kind of take on that part of the film? I think, I think that the, the specific dinner scene, I think it gets cringe comedy done pretty well, especially with the timing of the sip of wine and Billy Eichner's like, but you know, after, you know, he says he's going to stop, but he's like, but you know, they're not that young. Um, and I, I admire that part of it. I mean, I know the content might not work for everyone because like, like yes, Billy Eichner's character is clearly being a bit sanctimonious and over the top, but, but I kind of think it's authentic to him. And I think that's why it works for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually, again, like I really related to Aaron's character and that like, you know, I, agree that it's messed up to tell your boyfriend to like tone down his personality but then i also understand where he's coming from because you know it's it's kind of the thing of like okay time and place you know like there's always i think there's a place and a time for discussion like this when everyone is kind of um you know agreeing to it and like wanting and like ready to have it but there's also feels like yeah, Christmas dinner when your parents are visiting for a short amount of time might not be the right time and place to do it. But I know it, it's it's hard because I it's like, well, sometimes you got to make people uncomfortable and you got to push their buttons a little. So like, I understand both sides of it. And I think it's really, really interesting how the movie doesn't really, um, it shows how complicated it can be. It doesn't make either one of them totally in the right. And I like how, both of their siblings or or like friends or whatever call each, call them out on like their part in that you know in that argument you know where it's like Aaron's friend Aaron's brother is like I can't believe you or he was like oh that's messed up that you 
told him to tone it down and um bobby's friend is like uh i don't that's his sister or his friend um i don't remember uh she's like you were also she was like you could have been she also called him out too so um there's, there's really no right or wrong answer i mean it's a complicated situation with a lot of you know family politics and um you know dynamics and and stuff and you know it's easy to take things too far but um I appreciated that the movie was, was like really like it got into the thorniness of it and didn't try to make it too clear cut of like what you're supposed to think. I agree. And, and again, I think it makes good use of cringe comedy, which I think yeah. Nicholas Stoller has shown with forgetting Sarah Marshall that he's very capable of directing. Yeah. So like he gets the timing down of it perfectly and he gets, you know, the timing of them being in one of those, um, Broadway, Broadway musical themed restaurants where the waiters sing and dance. Oh uh, yeah. Like the awkward timing of that. Yeah, that was great. Um, I, I love that part. What are some other, like, um, other like favorite moments from the film for you? I think the, I think, you know, People can get on this movie about being sanctimonious, but I think where it works is the is Billy Eichner's monologue on the beach in Provincetown. I think mm-hmm. that moment, especially as somebody who myself has experienced similar difficulties in in queer dating, has it, it it's landed home with me because I'm I can be similarly loud and brash sometimes, and it, not in the, entirely the same way Bobby is, but it, like I can be loud and brash, and it can rub people the wrong way, and it often you know scares people off, and I fully understand where he's coming from, and that you know all his life he's been told to tone it down, and and sometimes it feels like you know you're writing away part of yourself by doing that, so I love that he included that in there i think that's probably the most like the most important and relatable aspect of his character in fact Mm -hmm. yeah to me that was when um the whole movie kind of clicked into place um and i felt that you know as someone who's not that familiar with billy eichner except from on twitter and like everyone's very obnoxious and sanctimonious on Twitter, especially like if you have a platform and you care about issues, like, you know, I think I first was kind of like, you know, he's a part of that like vote blue crowd that is can be a little annoying during election time. But um I uh, uh I lost my train of thought. Um yeah, but I felt that like the movie really clicked and like really like solidified what it was going for with his character and the theme of the film and the the arcs of both of these characters really well with that monologue and then also i loved aaron's reaction and i loved the dancing because like i I feel like it'd be easy to like kind of cut away from that scene and move on to the next part but it actually like really sits in the moment and it's a really I, I feel like, I mean, the entire province down sequence, even the, like the silly stuff with Bone Yang and Harvey Firestein, like a whole sequence feels so like uh, really graceful. Like the, the parade sequence I thought was really quite lovely and the montage of them. Um, and of course the, the beach scene and the, and the dancing, I mean, it's just so like, I mean, again, this is like what you want from like a romantic comedy, right? Like this felt very much in the vein of like, you know, you've got mail or, um, you know, um, Notting Hill or, or, or whatever. Um, and they even reference yeah. you've got mail directly in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, they do. I mean, yeah, this movie has a lot of really great references. Now that you bring that up, like you've got mail. I love the um, the scene of Aaron running at the end in his like sweats. Um, that, that was a nice callback to when Harry met Sally um, in the end of that film. Um, and um, yeah, I just felt like this. I I uh, I I just love the Provincetown sequence. I actually, um, uh, one part of that that sequence I really liked is when um, Bobby catches Aaron with the steroid and kind of like tries to like shade him a bit for it. And Aaron's like, "Well, you know, you like it when you worship my body and stuff." <laughs> and like, I mean, it's kind of like I thought that was a kind of cool you know a little like a, a cool moment that was a little like also like thorny and kind of like yeah like bringing up stuff of like yeah like we worship these bodies and then but also like the reality is that like you have to take testosterone to like have a body like that like no like i refuse to believe that any of these like you know extremely ripped movie stars are doing it organically with like chicken and crossfit like there's there's help there um and also the i mean the steroid the like part where his friend uh henry is like you also have to work out you can't just take it and expect it. <laughs> I thought that was really funny and i also liked that like the movie then like runs with that joke a little bit and like yeah. sees what happens when a guy like bobby tries to be like a mask bro and yeah how inauthentic it comes across yeah 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 and then um yeah i love the button to when he confesses to that guy um, and the guy's like, yeah, I probably would have been attracted to you if you were just yourself. Cause like, I, I find that what's, what I love about Bobby as a character is something that is one part that I do relate to him is that like, he does seem to have this like inferior inferiority complex that also manifests as like a superiority complex, you know, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like he judges people because he feels like I mean, he judges himself. And so that he he then judges other people like did you feel that way as well oh fully yeah. yeah it's clear and it comes across also like during the during the conversations with the other uh, museum curators yeah yeah and um that's also where some of the very good comedy in the movie comes out especially from um i think dot marie jones is hilarious in this movie and is an underrated actress in general and i just love her presence here Yes, she, I mean, I love, yeah, like, I love all those characters. And, like, I feel like one thing that I kind of am a little eye roll at this movie for, like, touting it's, like, oh, it's all this, like, you know, majority queer casts. It's true. But I'm also, like, at the same time, like, your two main characters are, like, cis white gays. And they're the one like, I was a little kind of like eye roll when I watched it at the end, like when I watched it this morning for this podcast um, of like having a bunch of like, you know, people of color, trans on binary, like clapping because these two white guys are like dating, you know, it's kind of like, I understand like it's Billy Actors movie and like, this is the theme. Like I understand all that, but it's like the optics of it. I was kind of a little eye roll, but not in the sense that I didn't enjoy the movie at all, but it's just something I thought about. Um, but yeah, I love Dot Marie Jones. Um, and also loved um, uh, Miss uh, Miss Lawrence as well. Like she, I thought was really funny. Like the holding space line, I thought was so. Um, this like I love when when they're like, "You don't have any your own idea. You just say you're holding space all the time." <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yeah, 
And I also actually think that the meat cute in this movie is like very accurate to a lot of what happens in gay clubs, which I've seen myself. Like yeah. you start talking to a guy and then he disappears and then you start talking to him again and then he disappears like that. Oh, really? That happens. Oh, really? That's so funny. Because like, that's so, okay. I'm glad you said that, that it feels accurate because like to me, I'm like, if I, if I was talking to someone and then he's like, I'm going to go home and have a threesome, I'd be a little like, oh, I thought like, that feels disrespectful to me and I would not. But again, like, like I said, like, I don't like, I don't know the dynamics of this specific milieu. So maybe that's like acceptable, but um, I, I thought that, I mean, I, I thought it was funny. Uh, the Zellweger app I thought was really funny as well. Oh yeah. Um, no, like, I mean, for cinema gays like you and I, that, that joke was for us. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, yeah. Um, who, Okay. Who would be the actress that, like, I don't know how the app works, but I'm imagining it's like you, like, I don't know, pick an actress and you connect, you are matched based on that. I don't know how it would work, but let's say it's that, like, who would be the actress that you would pick that would then, like, give you, get your your matches? I feel like, I mean, you know me, Anne Hathaway would be one of my choices. Yeah. Um, uh, and honestly, like, I think like branching off from Anne Hathaway into someone like Emma Stone would probably be where I'd go because yeah. I kind of like people with those vibes. Yeah. 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 For me, Emma Stone, for sure. Um, Scarlett Johansson. Um, and maybe, um, I, I mean, like there's like a, a bevy of Bollywood actresses that I would put on there as well. Um, like Ashwarya Rai and Priyanka Chopra, of course, um, and Deepika. But yeah, I don't know. I, I would love to have that app. Although I don't really, like, I, I'm not really like a, I don't know. I mean, I love actresses, but I, I wouldn't identify as an actress sexual because I'm not as, like, I feel like a lot of, like, you and, like, a lot of my other gay friends are, like, way more knowledgeable and dedicated than I am, which I love. Um, but Now, I uh, know which app you would get. You would get Almodover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, those are my people, um, you know. You know, you gotta love the like the the messed up and you know perverted ones. Uh, well, I'm not. I don't know. I think I'm more like that online than I am in real life. <laughs> I mean, that's like, uh, it's also funny to see someone that is who they are online that they are in real life. You know, like Billy Eichner. Like, um, um also Guy I, Branum. Honestly, like like Guy Branum's character seems very accurate to his persona too. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with him, but I, I felt like the minute I, I see that character, I know exactly what they're like, and like it was very entertaining. Um, I, I wanted more of him in the movie, to be honest. Um, yeah, no, I feel like the movie, like that is one criticism I have is I feel like the movie could have utilized its supporting cast a little bit better. Like, yeah, like you know, T.S. Madison, as you were mentioning, like she, I felt like could have been used more. Um, Jim and- Rash, Jim Rash is very funny in this too. Jim Rash, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he's just like one of those guys, like um, that can just show up and like just like is so funny. Um, what did you think about? I this did film? like the, oh, sorry, I did like ahead. the payoff with Bo and Yang though, with the <laughs> in the museum. Yeah, like uh, the line, um, "Congratulations, you made the Obama administration." But what's around the corner was a really funny line, especially in twenty twenty two, when like you know um oh man yeah um 
yeah, it was it was great. I I like Bo and Yang in this movie um a lot. I mean, he's always like he's really good at just like creating a very specific character in a matter of seconds. I mean, like that's like his like top skill at SNL, right? Like he's just like so like astute in his like character. Um, and I also think he's a, a really just like, I mean, I guess we should talk about Fire Island because like, I feel like these two movies were like, you know, set up against each other, even though I think they're a lot more similar and I don't, I don't know why they need to be in competition. Um, but I do definitely want, on, on uh, gay film Twitter. That was definitely yeah. a thing. Yeah. I mean, cause I feel like also like people like outside of Twitter do not know the Fire Island exists. <laughs> Or yeah, maybe because, they do um, uh, because Searchlight Pictures just dropped it on Hulu. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, because like a lot of the discourse around this movie, I mean, because I want to talk about the marketing in the box office as well, if you, if you want to go there now. But um, a lot of the like the um, like the message of the of the marketing for this movie was like this is the first like mainstream gay rented comedy, um, and. I agree that it is. I mean, it's also the first mainstream, like, gay sex comedy in the- that was in theaters. And, like, I know people are, like, making fun of that comedy qualifiers that has, but, like, this is a very specific type of movie made by, like, a very specific, like, made under a very specific umbrella, which is a, that, like, Judd Apatow, like, sweet, romantic, sex, raunchy comedy. And, like, it- this is the first of that kind uh and unfortunately probably the last because i just feel like we don't see movies like this in theaters that much anymore um and like um but i also felt that you know i i read some um maybe it's on the wikipedia page or some article about how like the very like sanctimonious tone of the marketing actually kind of hurt it because like i think it turned a lot of people off and it didn't quite sell the movie. It sold like the moralistic reason why we should support it. I don't know. Did you come across that take or or something? Uh, somewhat. I also think like more than anything, releasing this movie in early September at the end of September was a terrible idea. Yeah. Like this yeah, feel yeah. like and August was dead last year. Like there was nothing happening in August. Like this movie could have been placed in early August and done way better at the box office, in my opinion. Yeah. And this also thing... this movie like came out during the like surprise success of The Woman King, which was still in theaters at the time and definitely taking up a lot of people's radar. So I think coming up against something like that, which also could get a queer audience, especially a queer female audience with the yeah. representation of women in that movie. Um, I think that like the timing and also the marketing were bad. And I understand why this movie was a TIFF premiere. Like it makes a lot of sense at the same time. I think it might've made more sense as an August drop without a festival release. I agree. Like, to me, this movie feels like a summer movie, like July, June, July, August feels because it's like I know, of course, it goes, it, you know, goes over a whole year, I guess, you know, but like the main, like the centerpiece of the movie is Provincetown. That's in the summer. It ends in summer. It feels very much, it's, you know, there's a lot of scenes in Central Park, a lot of scenes on the street, a lot of scenes like, you know, um, it, it just feels like a summer movie. And I feel like end of September yeah, like as I, I, I mean, maybe they were trying to gear up for like a best original screenplay, best original song nominations. Um, you know, I, I would have, I would have welcomed both um, of those, at least a push for those. Maybe that's why they wanted to go a little later. But and of course the TIFF issue as well. I, I feel like 
I agree that maybe they should have skipped the festival and just done it, released it earlier. Because yeah, August. I might remember like what I was seeing in August. Like I feel like I, I feel like, like this nothing. was like last year was an unusually dead August. Yeah, like I'm looking at my like AMC A list list, and there's like nothing here that I was like, you know, all about in August. Like, um, yeah, like you know, Beast was out. You know, Bullet Train, like. No, um, Emily the Criminal. That was that. Was, yeah, that was a big so. one. But even that was like hard to find, and I think uh, I know I just waited for it to come on uh, Netflix. But um, yeah, I, I agree. And like, I I wish the movie had a little bit better marketing in terms of like its actual. Like, I wish they had leaned more into like it being like very queer very rom-com instead of this whole thing of like trying to get straight people to see it i mean i just don't know any straight people that saw it you know that didn't and universal have to. like universal had a very mixed distribution year last year in my opinion mm-hmm. like they had i mean they also they had ambulance which didn't do well either yeah um right they right. had they had obviously the Fablemans was their big Oscar play. Um, they had She Said, and both of those did not do well at the box office. But but then you had something like Ticket to Paradise, which is a really interesting contrast to how Bros did, which they marketed Ticket to Paradise perfectly, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And that well, movie made a good amount of money. I mean the, the the problem is that like, you know, Ticket to Paradise was marketed as Julia Roberts and George Clooney like coming back together. And I just like bros doesn't have that. Like Billy Eckner, he's not he's not a house I mean, he might be a household name, but he's not a movie star. Luke McFarland, like, you know, as charming and, and great an actor he is, like he's also not an, a household name. So it's like maybe they could have cast people who are like more well known, but there aren't that many gay well known actors, you know, that I feel like uh, Bowen Yang is probably the most well-known gay actor at this moment. Yeah, right, right. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough. And also, like, the appetite for mainstream comedies like this, I feel like are, you know, a little lower because people just kind of wait for streaming or, um, you know, I think, I, I mean, the thing is, that, like, I, I in an alternate universe without COVID, I feel like this movie would have done a lot better but I just feel like the lockdown has really trained people to like just stay at home as much and like watch things at home that they instead of just like going to the theater, you know, for like a, a, a comedy like this. Although I feel like this movie looks beautiful. Like I thought the cinematography was gorgeous, even on my laptop screen that I watched it this morning. Like, you know, um, I mean, the cinematography was done by um, Brandon uh, Trust. Yeah, and he's he worked with uh, Stoller a lot and does a lot of uh, comedies. Like he did uh, This is the End and The Interview and Neighbors and Popstar and The Disaster Artist. Um, the Night Before, which is also a really incredible film. Um, he's worked with Sam Raimi, not, uh, not Sam Raimi, um, uh, Rob Zombie. Like, you know, he's been around. And um, I, yeah, it, I think this is such a beautiful looking movie. Um, he also shot Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is yes. very good looking as well. Yes. Um, and also another great New York movie that is the opposite of a summer. That's a fall movie, you know? Like, I feel like some movies just have like seasons, like season vibes, you know? And like, fully agree. Bros has summer vibe, even though it takes place in other seasons. And Can You Forgive Me has a fall vibe. Um, yeah, fully. And, um, you know, that's another queer movie. As yeah. Well. So, yeah. 
um yeah very talented guy uh and definitely needs a, a a push to get into like you know the conversation of like great cinematographers um what and you I know have... i saw that this movie got a set decorators guild nomination which oh, makes a lot of sense actually yeah yeah um one thing I also was wanting to mention um, is sort of the conversation like of like, oh, like most gay men are so stupid and like, um, I don't know. I just like in that, like the beginning scene of, um, I mean, the beginning scene, like they're, they're meet cute, but also like the conversation about like, you know, not wanting to be too like, excuse the word faggy. Um, you know, I don't have any problems with that word, but I know some people do. So I just, you know. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, like that whole conversation of like that internalized, like homophobia, I, I found to be really powerful. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think I also want to talk about the ending song because that was another big talking point because cons- it was considered a potential awards contender that kind of never went through, yeah. but yeah, I really, ad- I really admire, like, I admire the choice the movie made to go with that because it really like the the first time I saw that movie, that song really made me cry and yeah. like it worked on an yeah. emotional note extremely well. Yeah. And I, I love that they got Mark yeah. Shaman to to write that song because I mean <laughs> Mark Shaman is an iconic gay composer. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, I was like yeah, but even this, when I watched it this morning, it was like seven thirty in the morning. I was like bawling my eyes out watching it. And, um, I mean, such a romantic ending, um, you know, like, I just like, uh, you know, I love a good, you know, run to, you know, run to catch the guy scene. And, um, I love the ending joke of like, will you date me for three months and then we'll reassess, <laughs> especially when the, the sister friend lady is like, it's a miracle. Your, your uncle's going to date for three months. Um, really great. Um, what are some of like your favorite kind of like throwaway um like jokes or like one-liners or like gags in the film? I mean the ent- the sequence where where uh, Billy Eichner is chatting on Grinder and the guy and and the guy's like aspic must have aspic <laughs> and he like goes to shave his goes to shave his butt and, and then yeah sends the picture only for the guy to block him like it's all too relatable because that it's is so how shallow real. guys are on grinder yeah i mean yeah I've, I've met guys like that um like it's just so funny because i mean the thing is like i guess like when you're like you know grinder is always you know touch and go for me but i feel like if you're like you know very conventionally attractive muscular whatever like it's it's easy to like be very demanding like that because there's so many options you know especially when you're in manhattan um like i i always lived in the outer boroughs so like there weren't that i mean there's i mean i also lived in like very like low-key neighborhoods but um there just aren't that many options and i just feel like it's so easy for i mean like i've been blocked for even stupider reasons it's just so funny Oh, same how it works out and um, and like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie and say i haven't blocked people for stupid reasons either yeah so. i mean i have too like i'm pretty sure i blocked someone for saying they didn't like the movie like we had a conversation about like a favorite movie um and they didn't like the movie that i said and i blocked them. 
Hey, listen, honestly, like I can be, I can be that person too. Yeah. But like, of I course. mean, similar experience for me. Cause like I live out in the suburbs and when I go to DC, it's like a whole different world. So, world, yeah. um, I, I also like, I, 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 as I mentioned before the joke about gay cowboy movies, because I love Brokeback Mountain and like, like as great as that movie is, it's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brokeback Mountain, which is, will probably be covered on this, uh, mini series. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's funny. I just like, you know, I don't know, like I'm very protective of Ang Lee and I'm like, I feel like that movie is a much more respectful depiction of of queerness than, than giving credit for these like throwaway lines, but I, I can I, I can accept it. It's fine. Um, I won't hold it against Billy Eckner. <laughs> um, for me, uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie is... Um, I really like the uh, actually the callback to the straight actors thing is when um, at the museum when they do the, like the night in the museum thing and all these like queer historical figures are played by like Peter Thompson and Amy Schumer and uh, Seth Meyers. I thought that was really funny. I would agree. Yeah. Um, oh, I just have one too. Oh, oh, the the joke about the lesbians holding down Billy. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, and we have to talk about Deborah Messing. That's a great cameo, honestly, best supporting actress. <laughs> oh my God, that cameo! I am not Grace. <laughs> I, you know, I wonder. I mean, I, I love the cameo because, like, I love how it's like, oh, she's afraid she's going to get canceled, so she wants to donate because she says she's a Viola Davis of Tufts. That's so funny because, like. I mean, she's gotta like laugh at herself for be agreeing to like, especially because like she did have a moment like that in real life. Yeah, yeah, I felt like she was like, definitely it was around like, I want to say like the the yeah around the twenty sixteen election. I'm sure like during most of the Trump administration, like she was always saying the most bizarre stuff, and I'm sure she's like calmed down now that Biden's in office, but. Um, yeah, I just love you know you love Deborah Messing. I went through a major Deborah Messing phase like in two thousand eleven because. I was watching Smash and also like watching Woman Grace, and I was like, "Wow, this lady's amazing." <laughs> I would like tweet her all the time, like my, when she would have a funny line in Woman Grace or something, um, or tell her how how good she was in Smash. Um, also, there are multiple. Yeah. Uh, Bo and Yang has one scene, but he has multiple great lines. Um, like the the one where the bush in his the one with the bush in his window and him yelling at the neighbor over it and then and then oh I'm going to the pride pool party you two are too old for the pool please leave <laughs> yes <laughs> that's so funny um yeah I really yeah this movie's so good like I feel like I could now that I've seen it again and like have had a good experience watching it like I feel like it's one that I'd want to like watch a, a lot and just like. It's a really like for a movie that's really much about like two people who are like learning to be in a relationship. I find it's like a really warm romantic movie. Like, like I was saying, the ending just like really puts you on a high. And um, this like I mean, the ending of the two of them like walking, arguing about kids. I mean, it's just like so sweet. Um, and um, oh my god, we didn't even talk about the like central like sex scene between the two of them when they're like wrestling and like the foot fetish and like the, all that stuff. That was really oh, funny as well. And, and also hot. we haven't talked about uh, Aaron's secret desire to be a chocolatier either. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what like, do you think I thought that, that was yeah. adorable. That was very much yeah. a nod to other rom-coms. 
yeah especially like the because, whole like, thing of like yeah but like unrealistic jobs yeah no it very much felt like an anti myers nod <laughs> yeah right exactly yeah the scene the, the scene of him making the chocolate at the end like reminded me of like it's complicated um and also bridesmaids because like bridesmaids also has a really like extended sequence of Kristen wig making one tiny cupcake <laughs> um it was really great um yeah i really i, I liked the chocolatier I, I also found it to be like a funny joke about like unrealistic jobs and romantic comedies especially like billy eichner like being a podcaster and like museum curator like i mean podcaster of course is a real job now i mean i don't make any money from my podcast but i know like if, if you work for like spotify like you can get a salary from podcasting so that feels accurate to me but like also like museum curator it's like that is a real job, of course, or like museum director, but it just feels very like rom com you know? Um, and like, hit, like Aaron being a probate lawyer is very funny because that's like such a, you know, it's such a boring job that you never see in a romantic comedy. Um, but yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I really liked, I thought the sex scene was really funny and kind of hot and, um, Although I was just when I was watching this morning, I was like, these two guys would not be wearing underwear <laughs> during that one if they're doing that in real life. But I was like, I know you can't do that scene totally naked because that's too much nudity. But I thought that was funny. Yeah, of course. And um, also the joke about Billy Eichner having a concave chest. Like, yeah. As... <laughs> yeah. Like, I admire that Billy Eichner was willing to go there about his own body. Like, yeah, yeah. It takes it takes a lot of self confidence to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like really impressed by the vulnerability in this movie. Like, I you know, I I don't want to be the I don't want to like assign this whole movie as being totally autobiographical, but I can imagine it feels like a very personal movie. So, um, like, I'm sure there's some things that are exaggerated, some things that are fictionalized, but I really feel that like I'm impressed by how open hearted this movie is and how vulnerable it can be. Um, and like dealing with stuff like that and just like the, you know, concerns that people have about their bodies and concerns about sexuality and their careers and their tone of voice and their personalities. Like, I feel like this movie really is deft in handling that with sincerity and humor and authenticity. Um, and I feel like that is, um, I think that's what makes this movie like rewatchable um, is that it actually like has like a really strong heart to it. I would agree. And, you know, I have to admit like, you know, last year we had multiple other queer movies come out like fire Island and spoiler alert, which also did not do well at the box office. And, you know, it, it, I'm worried that, you know, we had that, we had like a rare year with three movies about three movies about gay love. And I'm worried that because, you know, spoiler alert and, and, bros didn't do so well that we might not get as many because that's i mean hollywood always has its little phases and I'm worried yeah that hollywood is like oh we got past that phase yeah i mean spoiler i didn't get to go see because it came out around the holidays um and um you know my uh i wanted to go with my boyfriend to see it but he uh it was around the holidays and he just adopted a puppy so he was not leaving the house um, so we, we were like, oh, we'll, let's watch it. We'll rent it. Uh, and I felt bad not seeing it. Um, and I agree. I mean, I'm kind of worried that like movies like this will kind of get shifted to streaming, you know, where 
because I, I remember reading somewhere that Bros was somewhat successful on streaming or like on like paid VOD. Um, I don't have the numbers for that, but uh, I can imagine it probably was because you know I can people would have more. I can see people who were interested in it wanting to like rent it or buy it if they didn't want to like go to the theater. Um, and I agree with you; it makes me nervous. Um, spoiler alert: I mean, I can see why that was not successful just i think it wouldn't have been successful with a straight couple at the center just because like it's a hospital melodrama like i just feel like those are just not in fashion anymore but yeah i mean i guess we'll see like i don't want to be doom and gloom about the state of queer cinema in theaters and i feel like as long as there are creators and you know producers and stuff who are passionate about this stuff like i can see it surviving um and uh, i just hope that one can come out that can kind of hit and really be successful with the marketing and the um and the box office like you know release date positioning um but yeah i i just i'm worried as well i just want to be more optimistic because i feel like as you're saying like hollywood has phases and it's also cyclical so like you know, if something didn't doesn't work now, it could it could work in a couple of years. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see. Um, before we finish up here, do you have any final thoughts on the film or anything you wanted to bring up um, that we didn't get to touch upon? I think I also admire that that like you know they they mentioned that Bobby is Jewish and like they don't hide that fact like. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, obviously, I mean, I'm Jewish myself, so, like, I mean, we, like, people say Jews run Hollywood, but, like, you know, we don't, you don't see Jewish gay characters on screen very often, so, I mean, I guess until Shit's Creek, but, like, but, like, you know what I mean, um, and, and I admire that Billy put that part of himself in the film, too, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, um... I, yeah, I definitely, for me, I, I think this movie is, a, I feel like there's a lot of pressure on this movie. And some of it was, you know, self-inflicted because, you know, they positioned themselves as like the first of its kind and you had to see it and they wanted to make it, a, you know, accessible to straight people. But um, I, I wonder if this movie has leaned into its queerness in the marketing, like how much more goodwill it might have had that people would actually go see it um because i I think it's you know if you can get past the fact that it's about a very specific you know section of the gay community of of the queer community um and just enjoy it as like a romantic comedy that is very um you know sexy and funny and all that and and emotional i feel like it's a really enjoyable film and i i think that um you know now that we are removed from that whole cycle of conversation, I feel like it's time now to like watch the movie on its own terms and just enjoy it and think about its themes and appreciate what it's trying to do and trying to say. Um, Cause I, I mean, I really like this movie. I, I think it's so great. And I, I hope to see, you know, another film written by Billy Eichner that could maybe not have to be so educational or so mainstream. Like I, I'm excited to see what he does next. Um, Nicholas Stoller, like um, he has a new show on Apple TV with Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen, which I'm excited to watch. Um, uh, so 
you know, I, I hope he doesn't have to go to streaming now. Like I want him to do more stuff in, in theaters as well. Cause I think he's a really talented visual filmmaker when it comes to comedy. Um, and yeah, Luke McFarlane as well. Like I, I want to see what he's, what he's up to. I, I think he's such a, that was the other thing, actor. the Hallmark jokes because Luke McFarlane's a Hallmark actor. I thought those were right. very cute. Yeah, you know, I was looking. They're really not easy to see these Hallmark movies outside of watching them. Because I was like, well, I wanted to watch one with him in it um, last winter, but unless you're like on the channel, like they're not on Netflix, they're not on like Prime Video or Hulu or anything, which makes sense because like they're their own channel. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I think he's a really interesting actor, um, and yeah, I like this movie a lot. And I'm really really grateful for you for mentioning it um, because I, I think it's a movie that's worth discussing a lot. Um, and yeah, so thanks. I mean, it was, it was great to great to chat with you again and great to watch this film again. Um, would you please uh, tell the listeners where they can find you and um, kind of what you're working on? Well, uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Film and Sports 21. You can find me on Instagram at drbrilliant2552 and uh, those are my main sources of social media and you know at this moment I'm um, last time I came on I was doing a film podcast at the time and I was uh, trying to write for sites but at this moment I'm working in graduate school so and starting a new job so kind of on the back burner for the moment but I'm still watching lots of movies still writing stuff on Letterboxd where where you can also find me um, just look up Daniel Brilliant on Letterboxd you'll find me somewhere and and yeah that's about it that's what's going on with me right now Awesome. Yes. Well, you know, congratulations on grad school and the new job. It's so exciting, and I, you know, wish you all the best in this next chapter of your life. Um, you can find me on Twitter at vertigate three one four, and also follow the podcast at ipodwu. Remember to rave, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. I'll help you find the show. Um, Rose is streaming on Amazon Prime Video currently, so if you have not watched the film yet or want to watch it again, it's there for you. Um, really, a, a really pleasant and enjoyable rewatch, um, I must say. So definitely check that out again. Um, I I'm not sure what we'll be talking about in the next episode in June. Um, looking forward to that, um, but um, I'm, I'm excited for the two guests that I have in June, and also. Um, hopefully we'll be concluding um, the Bad Romance miniseries with The Shining as well. Um, so look out for that. Uh, Daniel, thanks for, thanks for being here and thanks for listening. Thank you for having me.